Hello everyone, welcome to Summit Church Fenton Online. Hey, I come to you today with a heavy heart based on the events that, that are transpiring right now in the Ukraine. We all need to keep the Ukrainian people in our prayers as well as that entire situation. Uh, and next week I'm going to begin to say some things about uh, what's going on over there as it pertains to the end times and, and speak for several weeks concerning that subject. Anyway, today what I'm going to do is finish up uh, the series that we started several weeks ago on lessons from the 12 apostles. If you missed any of those, you can go to our archives and get caught, caught up. So today let's go ahead and finish up the, the lessons from the 12 apostles and then next week we'll uh, say some things about the Ukraine and, uh, and, and some other things as it pertains to end time events. So with that in mind, let's go to Luke the sixth chapter We'll begin reading in verse 12. This has been our uh, text that we've used the last many weeks on lessons from the apostles. And in verse 12, it says, It came to pass in those days that Jesus went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose twelve whom he also named apostles. And then he gave the list. And remember, I gave you an assignment that by now, by the end of this series, I wanted you to be able to name all 12 of them. So hopefully you're able to do that. But the, the list is given here, starting in verse 14. Simon, who uh, he also named Peter, Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew. Now, Bartholomew is also known as Nathaniel. And then Matthew, who was also known as Levi. And Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus. Now, uh, he's also known as James the Less, and that's to distinguish him from the other James. And some feel that, uh, that he was called that not just to distinguish him from the other James, but some say he may have been shorter uh, than the other James, or he may have been younger. Um, you know, I don't know. But anyway, he was known as James the Less, and uh, I don't know, I think I'd rather be named James the more, <laughs> but he was James the less. I don't know what that did for his self-esteem, but, uh, but we're going to talk about him here in just a moment. Uh, so there was a James the less and Simon called the zealot. Uh, of course, he was not Simon Peter. Simon Peter was, was one of Jesus's other apostles who we talked about in our first two sessions. But this Simon was called the zealot. And uh, we'll talk about him here today. And then Judas, the son of James. Now, he was also known as Thaddeus. And, of course, uh, that was to distinguish him from the other Judas, who was known as Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. And so we, we've covered many of these uh, apostles in the last several weeks. But let's finish up today with the ones that we have remaining. And so let's, uh, let's talk about Thomas. Now, and again, if you missed any of the ones from the previous sessions, they are in our archives, and you can go get those for free, and I recommend that you do that, and I think it'd be a blessing to you. We've learned some really wonderful lessons from the uh, 12 apostles so far, but uh, let's finish them up today. So Thomas, now he's called Didymus, and uh, this word Didymus means twin, twin, T-W-I-N, twin, and it could have been because he was, he, he had a twin, maybe, you know, a I don't know. We don't know for sure. I, I've never been able to find exactly why he was called that, but 
perhaps he had a, a twin brother, a twin brother. I, I don't know, but, but that's why he, that's why he was called Thomas. Thomas was called Didymus. Uh, be that as it may, he's known though, he's known to the world uh, for the most part uh, as Doubting Thomas. And you've heard that, you know, people say Doubting Thomas, Doubting Thomas. And so he's known as, as Doubting Thomas. And he's known as Doubting Thomas. Sad to say that he's known as Doubting Thomas, as you'll see here as we move along. But um, um, it's because of, of an event that transpired uh, after Jesus had been raised from the dead, he appeared to his his disciples, and uh, on that first occasion where they were gathered there together in the room and the doors were shut and Jesus appeared to them, uh, Thomas wasn't present on that first appearance. And in John 20, verse 25, um, the other disciples said to him, now this was after Jesus had appeared to the apostles, but Thomas was not present. And they, in John 20, 25, later on when Thomas, you know, came, came on the scene, they said to him, the other apostles said to him, we have seen the Lord. So Thomas said to them, now notice what he said. He said, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now you think about that. Uh, and that's why he's known as Doubting Thomas. And uh, um, I mean, and, and it's just amazing to me after all the apostles had seen the Lord do. I mean, they were right there. I mean, he'd raised Lazarus from the dead. He had um, uh, done so many mighty miracles, walked on the water, calmed the storm, uh, gave sight to the blind, and on it goes. Raised several people from the dead. Uh, healed so many, the maimed and just every kind of thing you can imagine. Put Malchus's ear back on after Peter cut it off. W why uh, Thomas didn't believe it. He wasn't the only one. I mean, right after Jesus was raised from the dead, and I believe the women brought the word, you know, to the disciples. It said they were all unbelieving. I, I don't, I don't understand that, but, but, uh, but they, they didn't believe. Uh, but eventually they did. And thank God that they did. But this instance here, uh, Thomas said, again, notice what he said here in John 20, 25. He said, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So he said, you know, I have to see it and feel it to believe it. And if you know anything about faith whatsoever, <laughs> this is just the opposite of having faith. He was faithless, doubting, okay? And uh, that's why he's known as Doubting Thomas. But with that being said, go to John, uh, well, there in John uh, 20, 25. But now notice verse 26, John 20, 26. Then after eight days, so this is eight days later now, his disciples, Jesus's disciples were again inside. And this time Thomas was with them. And Jesus came, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace be to you. It's interesting that the Bible says the doors were shut. Jesus didn't use the door. He, he just appeared there in the midst of them. Uh, <laughs> Jesus doesn't use doors. He is the door. Uh, I like that. You know, I can't say that he never uses a door, but I mean, he didn't hear and uh, he doesn't have to. He is the door. Amen. Yes, he is. 
But uh, be that as it may, this time Thomas is with the with the, the the other apostles, and there Jesus stands in the midst, says, "Peace be to you." And then notice Jesus says to Thomas, he says. Look at this. He says, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Wow. So Jesus corrected him, didn't he? Absolutely he did. And uh, uh, and then notice here what uh, Thomas said in verse 28. He says, my Lord and my God, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Uh, now, some lessons here that we can we can glean is, uh, first of all, uh, notice Jesus is listening even when he, you know, I mean, remember, Thomas, he, he wasn't there when Jesus appeared the first time, and then the disciples told him about it, and he said, and Jesus wasn't, you know, there where they could see him. He had, he had departed. And, uh, and Thomas told the other disciples when Jesus wasn't there, you know, that, that, that anyone could see, said, you know, unless I can, you know, see him and touch him and all of that, I won't believe. And then, and then now, now Jesus is in their midst again, and notice, he, he says to Thomas, he says, reach your finger here, look at my hands and so forth. What lesson do we learn? We learn this. We learn that even though we can't see Jesus, he's there. Absolutely he is. And he hears what we're saying. We need to be real watchful of what we say and what we do because Jesus is watching and he's listening to our words. And Thomas didn't think he was 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 around because because you couldn't see Jesus when he made that statement. But yet Jesus appears eight days later, and he knew exactly what Thomas had said. I mean, that'll that's a lesson to all of us. Jesus knows what we're thinking. He knows what we're saying. He knows what we're doing, and uh, and that's a lesson we need to learn here from Thomas because Jesus called out the exact thing that Thomas, you know, where he he was faltering. Jesus obviously heard those words and then when he when he was there where they could could see him then he dealt with that so so we learned the lesson that Jesus hears what we're saying even when we don't think he's listening absolutely and Thomas learned that and we can see it we can see it right here you know I've, I've said many times that Jesus during his earthly ministry though he was a hundred percent God he wasn't operating as God, and that's true during that three and a half years of his ministry, and really during 33 and a half years of his life here on earth, he was God very much, the Son of God, God in the flesh, but he didn't operate as God. He had laid down not his possession of deity, but his expression of it. But it's interesting, at the resurrection, when he was raised from the dead and got that glorified body, he picked up that expression of deity. Now, he, he, he never lost the possession of it, but he laid it down for those 33 and a half years. But when he was raised from the dead, he picked up that, 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 that expression of deity, never laid down the possession of it, laid down the expression of it. But when he was raised from the dead, he picked that back up. And he, now he know, knows all things, hears all things, absolutely. And that's why he was able to, to do this with Thomas, because Jesus heard what Thomas said, even though he wasn't around. So listen to all of us. 
Jesus is listening, even though we 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 can't see him or or, or anything like that. He's he's here and he knows. You know, he's there where you are and he knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're saying. He knows what you're doing. So remember that. Also, uh, another lesson we learn is that Jesus met Thomas at the point of Thomas's weakness. Now, it shows just how good Jesus is. Um, now, now, when he corrected Thomas, I believe he was a bit firm with him. But, you know, it's okay if Jesus is firm with us. That's all right. He, he loves us. And, and uh, if, if we need him to be firm with us, to correct us, that's just fine. But uh, but the point here is is that he did not discard Thomas just because he had a weak moment. He rather showed up in their midst and he went right to Thomas and corrected him and and got him on the right track and he met Thomas at the point of his weakness and that you know Jesus is so good he'll meet all of us at the point of our weakness and he'll meet us there and then what will he do he he doesn't leave us there he'll strengthen us and that's what happened to Thomas. He met him at the point of his weakness. He corrected him. But notice as a result, Thomas became strong and he said, my Lord and my God. And, and out of that weakness, Jesus met him there in that point of weakness. But then Jesus empowered him to become strong and go from unbelieving to believing. And I think that that, that is so good and shows just how good Jesus is. He'll meet you at your point of weakness and he'll, he'll help you to be strong. Uh, and then something else we learn from Thomas here is, is we learn, uh, we learn this, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You know, that's what faith really is all about. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And that, you know, that, that's, that's, that's the definition. I think Hebrews, the 11th chapter, the first verse is the Bible definition of faith. It's the evidence of things not seen. And see, when, when, when Thomas said, unless I can, unless I can see him, unless I can touch him, I won't believe. See, he was not in faith there at all. Just the opposite. He was in doubt and unbelief. But faith is, you know, <laughs> faith is this. I'm going to believe the word of God, even though I can't see it, see it. Though I have no visual evidence, though I can't touch anything, though I can't see anything, you know, uh, uh, you know uh, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not revealed to the five physical senses. Even though I, you know, faith is I don't need to see it to believe it. See, Thomas was just the opposite of that. He, he said, unless I can see, unless I can touch, I won't believe. And, uh, and, and that, that's not a good place to be. That's in total doubt and unbelief. But again, see, Jesus met him at his point of weakness, strengthened him. And, and as a result, Thomas uh, became believing and said, my Lord and my God. But uh, let's just remember that uh, lesson of faith. You know, we don't have to see Jesus to, to believe that he is. And that he's right there where you are. He's right here, uh, right here in this studio where I'm, where I'm, where I'm shooting this and preaching to you. He's there. He's everywhere at the same time. He's Almighty God. And uh, and and uh, you know, if Jesus said something, the Bible says something, then then I believe it. And like one preacher said, the Bible said it. I believe it, and that settles it. You know, I don't have to see anything or feel anything to believe. Uh, uh, you know, if the word of God says it, then, then, then that's it. And, uh, and that's Bible faith. And then we learn this, Jesus said, you know, he, he told Thomas, because you've seen me, you believed. But then he said, blessed are those who have not seen 
and yet have believed. Well, I've never seen Jesus. I've never seen him. I've never had a vision of him. I've never seen him. But I believe that he is. I absolutely do. I've never seen him, but I believe on him. I really, really do. And uh, uh, I, <laughs> and I know him. You know how I know him? I know him through the word of God. He's touched my life. He's, 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 he, he's, yeah. <laughs> you know, but I've never physically seen him with my eyes or had a vision where I've seen him or anything like that. But I believe that he is. And uh, because the Bible says that he is. And I believe that. Yet yet he's touched my heart. He's touched my life in so many ways that, that I know he's I know he's real. But but the point is I've never seen him. I believe that he is. Absolutely. And the Bible says, Jesus said, he's the word made flesh, that 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 a person that's never seen him but yet has believed is is uh, is uh is blessed. And so uh, so I'm blessed, and uh, and I know you are too. You've never seen him, and and most I say 99.9999999 percent of the people that have lived on Earth have never seen him. You know, but but we believed upon him because of the Word of God, and uh, and we're blessed. And uh, anyway, that's a lesson that we learned from Jesus through Thomas. Also here, because of one statement, Thomas will forever be known as doubting Thomas. Now you think about that just just because of what he said there you know unless I can see the nail prints and touch him and all of that see and touch I won't believe he got he got the the title doubting Thomas and because of that one statement he'll forever be known as doubting Thomas and 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 that's sad because Thomas is the first apostle after the resurrection to declare Jesus as Lord and God, the first apostle after the resurrection to, to declare Jesus as my Lord and my God. You see, uh, wouldn't it have been better if he'd have got that stamped on, on him <laughs> rather than doubting Thomas? But, you know, it's just the way of the world, you know, to, to, to tag people with negative things. And, and, and it, it's just sad. And, uh, and so lesson here. Don't label someone for all eternity because of one mistake they made. And, and boy, don't we see that again and again and again. You know, people can do, you know, a thousand positive things and good things. But if they, they make one mistake, it seems like that's what everybody will remember. And that's the, the, the uh, uh, title they'll get stuck with. And, and it's so sad. I like to think of him as believing Thomas because, because he, you see, he didn't stay unbelieving. He became believing and he was the, the first one to declare Jesus, as I've already said, after the resurrection as my Lord and my God. So uh, sad to say that he got tagged with doubting Thomas, but, uh, but, but don't label someone for all eternity because of one mistake they make. You know, it's not how someone starts out that really matters, but how they finish. Yeah, he may have started out here in some doubt and unbelief, but he didn't. He did. He started out that way, but after Jesus met him at his point of weakness, he didn't stay there. He uh, he uh, he finished strong as a believing, you know. And so uh, uh, it's not how you start that really matters so much. Yeah, you got to get started, but it's it's how how do you finish? Okay, and uh, and so be that as it may, let's you know I don't know. I'd like to just let's call him believing Thomas, <laughs> believing Thomas, and. Uh, yeah, I think of the maniac of Gadara. You know, he he gets he got tagged. You know, that maniac that Jesus set free of all those demons, and he's known as the maniac of Gadara. But if you finish the story, 
he became the evangelist of Decapolis after he got after Jesus set him free from all those demons. He went to Decapolis and became a preacher. Why don't we call him the evangelist of Decapolis? Why do we have to call him the maniac of Gadara? I mean, again, you see, it's not how you start that matter. Now you got to get started, like I said. But it's not how you start; it's how you finish. Or like Bartimaeus, you know, blind, we call him blind Bartimaeus. But you know, after he had that encounter with Jesus, he wasn't blind anymore. But yet we call him blind Bartimaeus. It's just the way of the world. Negative, negativity, negativism. You know, uh, let's call it. Let's call him seeing Bartimaeus. What do you say? And uh, believing Thomas. I like that better. Anyway. Something else we learned from, from Thomas is that uh, after Lazarus, uh, you know, Lazarus, remember him, after he had died in Bethany, it was real dangerous. Now, it was real dangerous for uh, dangerous for Jesus to go into that part of the, the country because the Jewish leaders sought to kill him. And, uh, and Lazarus, you know, uh, was in Bethany, dangerous for Jesus to go into that area because of the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders and whatnot. Dangerous for Jesus to go there, and and uh, but Lazarus died, and and eventually, four days after Lazarus had died, Jesus uh, goes over there. But uh, you know, Jesus and his disciples knew it was dangerous to go there. And uh, in John the eleventh chapter, you see the disciples trying to talk Jesus out of going there, and uh, uh, but eventually Jesus went, and and he makes the decision to go. And of course, he went over there, raised Lazarus from the dead, and that is wonderful, wonderful, one of the most powerful uh, events in the Bible. But it's interesting, and, and a lot of times this gets overlooked, but we're talking about Thomas here in John, the 11th chapter and the 16th verse. Once uh, Jesus made the decision to go, Thomas, uh, notice here, uh, John 11:16. then Thomas, who is called uh, Didymus, or the twin, said to his fellow disciples, he said, let us also go that we may die with him. And the Amplified Classic says this, this is how Thomas said us, let us go to that we may die or be killed along with, along with Jesus. Now, you know, um, you think about that. Uh, you know, Thomas didn't want to go over there into that area because he knew it was dangerous. But once Jesus made the, deci the decision to go, he said, well, all right, you know, let's let's. Let's go along with him. We'll just go over there and die with him. <laughs> well, you know, I think Thomas's readiness to stick with Jesus uh, in this in this situation is noteworthy. Tells me a lot about Thomas's character, and uh, you know, although Thomas's outlook here may have been pessimistic, and yes, I think overall he was probably a pessimistic person. And these words rather gloomy. Uh, but when push came to shove, Thomas demonstrated extreme loyalty to Jesus. And that's noteworthy to me. You know, I, I, I tell you, I'd rather have somebody like Thomas who, you know, of course, we'd like to have people that are positive and upbeat all the time and, 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 then, and then stick with you all the way through, through across the finish line. But, you know, I'd rather have somebody like Thomas who may be a little pessimistic and but yet he's going to stick with you when push comes to shove. I'd rather have somebody like that than a lot of people I've dealt with over the years. You know, they're 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 with you when when things are all going good and the sun's shining and the you know everything's going good. But you know things get a little rough and and all that 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 positivity just goes out the window and they they hit the road and you look around and need their help. They're nowhere to be found. You know, I, I, I'll take Thomas, somebody who may not be hundred percent positive all the time. 
But yet when push comes to shove, they'll stick right with you, right to the end, even die with you. March, march to war and die with you if that's what it takes. And uh, so that, that, that often gets overlooked with Thomas, but I wanted to bring that out to you. And uh, something else that we get from Thomas is as Jesus was nearing the time for him to be crucified in John 14, verse 5, Thomas said to the Lord, he said, Lord, we, don't, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said to Thomas, this is John 14, verse 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And you know, it was because of Thomas's question that we got this great statement from the Lord Jesus Christ uh, when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And you know, it's, it's the absolute truth. The only way to be saved, the only way to miss hell and make heaven, the only way to access the Heavenly Father, there is only one way, and his name is Jesus Christ. He's the mediator between God and man, and, and, and there is no other way to get to the Father. There is no other way to get to heaven except through Jesus. Jesus is not the best way to God. Jesus is the only way to God. Absolutely. The only way to access the Heavenly Father is through the Lord Jesus Christ. One minister said one time, it was so sad, he said, well, Jesus is the best way to get to the Heavenly Father. And that is so damnably wrong. I know that's a little blunt, but it's true. Jesus isn't the best way. He's the only way to get to the Heavenly Father. Absolutely. And he said it himself. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And, and we got that out of the Lord because of Thomas's question. So I'm glad Thomas asked him that question. So that's Thomas. Let's move on now to Matthew. In Luke, the fifth chapter, let's look at Matthew. He's also known as Levi. And in Luke, the fifth chapter, in the 27th verse, says, after these things, uh, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi, Now it's also Matthew, so Matthew and Levi, same person. It's interesting, uh, Matthew wrote a gospel account, and John, of the 12 apostles, Matthew wrote a gospel account, John wrote a gospel account, uh, and they were the only two of the 12 that wrote gospel accounts. Now, uh, many Bible scholars think that Mark's account is really seen through Peter's eyes, and that, that may well be, but I uh, just thought I'd point that out, that of the 12 Apostles. See, a lot of people think Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they think that all four of those were Jesus' 12 apostles, but that's not true. Uh, Mark wasn't and Luke wasn't, but Matthew and John were. But anyway, so uh, Jesus, uh, he's going along there. He sees this tax collector named Matthew or, or Levi, and he was sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. So watch what Matthew does here. He left all, rose up, and followed him. Then Matthew, or Levi, however, whatever you want to call him, gave him a great feast in his own house. The New Living Translation said that he made Jesus the guest of honor. Now you think about this, a tax collector. And they were not liked at all. And, and the, the, the Jews didn't like the people. You know, they were not liked. Tax collectors, I mean, I don't know that anybody likes likes to pay taxes or the tax collectors. I, I think that still goes to this hour all these years later, you know. <laughs> but uh, tax collectors were really, they were not liked. They were not accepted, you know. 
uh, by, by, by the Jews there, you know, and uh, uh, so Matthew was not a, a popular individual, but Jesus called him nonetheless. He said, follow me. And uh, but it's interesting that, that Matthew uh, invited Jesus over to his, to his house and made him the guest of honor. Absolutely. And the Bible says there were a great number of other tax collectors there and, and Jesus sat down with them there and so forth. And then it's interesting in verse 30, the scribes and the Pharisees complained, bitterly complained against uh, uh, his, his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And the New Living Translation says it like this, why do you, saying to Jesus, why do you eat with such scum? See, that's what tax collectors were looked, looked upon by the Jews. They, they, were, they were looked on as scum. But Jesus called Matthew nonetheless. You know, the world may see someone as scum, but Jesus doesn't see him that way. And it's good to know. And Matthew got called into Jesus's ministry and, as one of the 12. I mean, praise God. And Jesus answered and said to them after they said, you know, why are you eating, Lord? Or, you know, Jesus. They didn't call him Lord. What did they call him? Well, that, well, they said to Jesus, nonetheless, why are you eating and drinking with such scum? And Jesus answered and said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Well, I tell you, don't you love the Lord? <laughs> that is, that is, I mean, he's sitting there and eating and drinking with, with what the religious people would call scum. The Lord Jesus has time for him, and he's sitting there and eating and drinking with him and loving on him. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't Jesus wonderful? He just really is. Again, what, what religiosity and the religious elite would call scum of the earth, Jesus had time for it. He said, he said, those who have, uh, those who, who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. He said, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So what lessons do we learn from Matthew? Well, when Jesus calls, again, we've seen this with the other apostles, but when Jesus calls, drop what you're doing and follow him. And then also a lesson we learned, the Lord gives us opportunity to leave or give up something to show how much we esteem him, honor him, and love him. And we saw that again and again with the, the apostles, you know, Peter, James, John, Andrew, they had to give up their, their business, you know, their fishing business. And, and uh, of course, we see here where Matthew had to, to give up his, his, his uh, the way he was making a living, you know, as a tax collector. But, uh, but, but Jesus gave him an opportunity to leave it, to leave it all, to show how much that Matthew would esteem, honor, and love him. And I, you know, I, I certainly not on the level of Matthew or the, the apostles, but I know a little bit about that. You know, I studied all those years and became a mathematics instructor, and the Lord called me to leave that and go into ministry. And, and uh, he gave me that opportunity to, to show him that I loved him more than I loved teaching mathematics and, and that way of making a living. And, and uh, I'm so glad I followed the Lord and he's, he's blessed me abundantly as a result. Uh, but also too, we learn a lesson from Matthew. Uh, Matthew opened up his home and made Jesus the guest of honor. I tell you what, Let's you and I open up our homes, open up our hearts and, and make Jesus the guest of honor. Let's learn that lesson from Matthew 
and and know that Jesus came to call sinners to repentance. And uh, so, so that's a good lesson to learn from Matthew. Open up your heart. Open up your home. Make Jesus the guest of honor. And also, too, this is a little little uh, funny note here, but it's so true. You know, uh, uh, Jesus called Matthew on his staff. Matthew was a tax uh, tax professional. You know, it's a good idea to have a tax professional on your staff. <laughs> it just is. And uh, you have good tax advice. And uh, we started out that way in the ministry all those years ago with good tax professionals, and, and we maintained them all the way through. And uh, it, I tell you what, you better have good tax people and uh, follow all the rules. And we've endeavored to do that all along. And uh, so, so Jesus had a had a, a a tax professional on his on his staff, and that's good. And now, why he didn't handle the offerings, the the uh, the, the treasury? Why Judas did that? I, I that's beyond my pay grade right there. But uh, but nonetheless, good to, good to have a good tax professional. Whether you're in the ministry or not, anybody listening to me, you know, uh, be sure, especially if you live here in the United States, be sure that you have a good tax professional. Okay, now let's move on to the next uh, apostle, and it's called, and he's known as Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot. Now, of course, there was uh, Simon Peter, but this fellow was also named Simon, but uh, to distinguish him, he was known as the Zealot. Now, let me tell you, let me read from my notes and tell you what a Zealot was. The Zealots were an aggressive political party whose concern for the national and religious life of the Jewish people led them to despise even Jews who sought to live at peace with the Roman authorities. The Zealots were Jews who were rebelling uh, uh, against Roman rule and taxation. They believed in one God and the, and, and the Romans had many gods which they did not accept and uh, they were described, the zealots were described as unconquerable because they would serve no one but God, the God of the Old Testament. And, and so, you know, that's good. They're only going to serve God, one God, you know, and, and that's good. And uh, the God of the Old Testament, absolutely. And, uh, but the, the thing I want to get at here, I just want to tell you that so you knew what a zealot was, but they were an aggressive political party. And that's what I want to stress here. They were an aggressive political party, an aggressive, now listen to this, the Zealots were an aggressive political party whose concern for the national and religious life of the Jewish people led them to despise uh, the Roman authorities, but even Jews who sought to live at peace with the Roman authorities. Now, I want, to, I want you to get that. The Zealots were an aggressive political party. So Simon, this man named Simon, Simon the Zealot, was part of this aggressive aggressive political party and and their concern was for the national and religious life of the Jewish people they opposed Roman authority and they opposed any Jew who sought to even in any way shape form or fashion live at peace with the Roman authorities so they were zealots they 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 had a zeal for for this this political position now, it's interesting to note, no, listen to this. This is so good. Please listen to this. It's interesting to note that Matthew, now we just finished talking about Matthew. It's interesting to note that Matthew, a tax collector, would have been in the, uh, 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 who would have been in the employ, in the employ of Roman uh, authority directly or uh, uh, 
Uh, well, let me just read from my notes. I'm trying to talk to you and read from my notes. Let me just read from my notes. It's interesting to note that Matthew, a tax collector, would have been in the employ of Rome directly or, uh, or, or, uh, uh, or of the Jewish officials who rule the Romans' blessing, blah, blah, blah. All right, my <laughs> didn't have too good of notes here. The point I'm trying to make here is, is what I'm trying to say is, is Matthew was a tax collector, okay? And he was working for Rome, okay? Let me just tell you, reading from my notes, not working on this one. So let me just tell you, all right, Matthew was a tax collector, all right? Jesus called him onto his staff. And now here comes Simon the Zealot. And, and Simon was against uh, Rome, and he was against anybody who would work for Rome. And Matthew worked for Rome, okay? He was a tax collector. What am I trying to get at? <laughs> Simon had, would have had no use for Matthew, he would have had no use for Matthew. They were on opposite ends of the political spectrum. Absolutely opposite ends of the political spectrum. Okay, Matthew was an employee of Rome uh, collecting taxes for them. And uh, Simon, the zealot, uh, had no use for that. His political position put him at odds with Matthew. Absolutely. Now, most people don't realize that, but Jesus called them both. He called them both. He called the tax collector onto his personal staff, and he called the zealot onto his personal staff. What do we learn from that? He wanted them to get along with one another and live peaceably with one another, even though they might not have agreed on all the political positions that the other held. Okay? That's just putting it in my own words. Uh, my notes say, say that, but I think I said it better just telling you out of my heart than trying, trying to read it out of my notes. But do uh, but you get what I'm saying? Uh, uh, Simon the Zealot would have had absolutely no use for Matthew because, again, Matthew worked for Rome. He was a tax collector. And Simon the Zealot was totally against that. And, but yet Jesus called them both, and Jesus expected them to get along and work on his, uh, on his staff as, as apostles and get along and work together, even though they had differing political uh, viewpoints, Okay. And I think that is so powerful. Now, let me try to get back to my notes here and uh, and read it because there's some good things in my notes I want to get. Uh, let me read this. Matthew, the tax collector, and Simon, the zealot, were from opposite ends of the political spectrum. Uh, but because of their greater allegiance to Jesus, now get this, they were brothers in the Lord and co-workers for the gospel. As I said, Jesus called them both. It is unfortunate, now listen to this, it's unfortunate that today, Many believers seem to be more committed to a political party, and all this is so true, particularly in the last presidential cycle that we just came out of. And it's so sad and it's unfortunate that today many believers seem to be more committed to a political party or a political viewpoint than to Jesus Christ, his church, his gospel, and the kingdom of God. Isn't that, I mean, let me read this again. It's unfortunate that today many believers seem to be more committed to a political party or a political viewpoint than to the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I lived through that. I did. I lived right through smack dab through the middle of that in this last political cycle. And I watched Christians have far more zeal for, uh, for, for I'll just say it, for Donald Trump than they had for Jesus. Absolutely, I lived through it. And I watched so many Christians, not just in my church, but around the country that had far more zeal for Donald Trump 
than they did for Jesus. And that, that, that was, that, that broke my heart. That, that was such a, such a sad thing to see that, that, that people, Christians were, I mean, people who'd been born again for years and years and years, spirit-filled uh, uh, believers, and were putting a, a political figure above the Lord Jesus. And they, they, they told me again, you know, we're not doing that. No, we're not doing that. But when you can go on Facebook and all these different social media things, and you can share about Donald Trump, but you can't go on there and and say some things, uh, good things about about your your church and whatnot. There's something that that tells you all you need to know. And I lived through that. I saw that. And we need to learn. Listen, uh, folks, we need to learn from from Simon and Matthew. They didn't agree on on political things necessarily at all. And certainly Simon the Zealot would have had no use. I mean, he for for Matthew. I mean, he, because Simon was from uh, he was an aggressive. He wasn't just involved in politics. He was aggressively involved aggressively involved, he would have just not had any use for Matthew. But you know what the lesson we learned? Listen to this. Simon the Zealot was very passionate about politics, yet as important as politics was to him, he put Jesus above politics. And uh, as a result, he was able to get along with Matthew, even though they, even though they didn't agree, I'm sure, on everything. Not, not, not at all, not even close. But, but uh, I want to read that again. The lesson we learn here as Simon the Zealot was very passionate about politics, and we ought to be passionate about politics. We ought to be involved in government. Absolutely, 100%. But we should never let that become more important to us than Jesus. And that's what I tried to tell people during the last presidential cycle, and very few listened, if any listened. You know, be involved with politics. Get involved. Yes, yes, yes. Vote. Do all that. Absolutely. Pray. Vote. Do all that. Get involved. But keep Jesus and the kingdom of God ahead of politics. And that's what Simon the Zealot, learn that lesson from him. He was so impassioned about politics, but yet he was willing to put Jesus above that. And also, as a result, he was able to get along with Matthew on the same staff, even though they didn't agree on all their politics. So let me read from my notes here. Be passionate about politics. Be involved in politics, but be more passionate about Jesus and be willing to put Jesus above politics. So, well, that was a good lesson, I think. We learned that from uh, from Simon the Zealot. Now, let's conclude here with these last two apostles. James, the son of Alphaeus. Now, he was known, as I said, as James the Less. And Judas, the son of James. And he was known as Thaddeus. And uh, that distinguished him from Judas Iscariot. But listen, listen here, this is so good, listen. These were perhaps two of the most obscure of the 12 apostles. Nothing is really known about them from the Bible, okay? Uh, you know, we get a lot on Peter, a lot on John, you know, and so forth. But, but uh, we don't get very much on these two. These are two, James the Less and Thaddeus, Judas Thaddeus, the two most obscure of the 12, Nothing is really known about them from the Bible. The lesson, here's the lesson, listen to this. The lesson is that you don't need to be well known to make a big difference for God. Now you think about that. That, that was worth coming and getting just, just, just to get that because this actually speaks to, to most people, including myself. You don't have to be well known and popular to make a big difference for God. I want to say that again. It's so good because this speaks to the vast majority of, 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 of Christians. 
probably 99% of Christians right here or more or higher than that even. The lesson is that we learn from James the less. You just think about that, James the less. Think about his self-esteem. Everybody calling James the less, James the less, James the less. And, I mean, there's no way that that could, could, could make you feel good about yourself, you know, uh, uh, the less. You know, maybe I'm speaking to a minister out there and you just, you feel like you're the less, the less. That nobody knows who you are. It seems like nobody could care. Well, let me tell you what. James here and James the less and Thaddeus here, Judas Thaddeus, very obscure. Don't really know anything about him from the Bible. Not well known, but you don't need to be well known to make a big difference for God. Most may not know who these two men are, but Jesus knew who they were. He prayed all night long and he picked these two. And even though the Bible doesn't say much much uh, uh, about them, they don't get hardly any airtime. You know what I mean? But Jesus knows who they are and he, God the Father knows who they are. The Holy Ghost knows who they are and, and, and Jesus handpicked them. And so they may not be well known, but you don't have to be well known to make a big difference. You can be little known, but yet make a big difference for the kingdom of God. And, 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 and the Lord thinks so much of these, these, all of the apostles, but I'm centering, centering in on these two that are basically unknown. If you look at Revelation 21, verse 14, talks about the, uh, heavenly Jerusalem and, uh, the gates and all of that, the city and the gates and the wall and all of that. But if you look at verse 14, Revelation 21, 21, 14. Now the wall of the city, the heavenly Jerusalem had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So James the Less and Judas Thaddeus have their names in the foundation, one of those foundations, there's 12 of them, they each have... <laughs> One of them has James the Less, and the other one has Judas Thaddeus. Now you think about that, their names. I want to read it again. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the land. So they may not, these guys may not be well known here on the earth. Hardly nobody knows who they are, but God knows who they are. And when we look at that, that those foundations, that great wall, that great city, we're going to see their names there. That's what God thinks of them. You know, you don't have to be well thought of by a man as long as you're well thought of by God. You know what I mean? And uh, you don't have to be well known to make a big difference. And, uh, it, it, and by the way, it talks about the apostles of the Lamb. So, somebody asked me one time, well, what does that mean? When it says apostles of the Lamb, it's talking about the 12 apostles that, uh, uh, that we've been studying about over the last weeks. Apostles of the Lamb. Those 12. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Somebody says, well, is Judas Iscariot's name going to be uh, in one of those uh, foundations? You know, is his name? No, I don't believe that for a second. Judas was a traitor. The Bible's clear. Uh, he went to hell. I don't think his name is. Well, I, I can tell you with, with as sure as I can be, his name is not going to be there. Who's that 12th one going to be? Well, it could be Matthias. Remember, he he took over uh, Judas Iscariot's spot. Could be him. I don't think so, though. I think, this is just my opinion, I think that 12th spot is for the Apostle Paul. But it's not a heaven-hell issue, so that's just my thoughts. But anyway, let's move on. 
So again, you don't need to be well-known to make a big difference for God. And so James, the less, uh, not well-known. Judas Thaddeus, not well-known, but uh, they made a big difference uh, for God. And then also, too, look at John 14, 22. Uh, Judas Thaddeus here, Judas also known as Thaddeus, he, get, he gets something out of Jesus that we all need to know. He asked him a question, and we need to know this. John 14, 22, it says, Judas, not Iscariot, so Thaddeus, said to the Lord, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, and oh, get a hold of this. See, he asked this question. We're going we're gonna to get a nugget, a real good nugget here we need to know. Jesus said this, if anyone loves me, if anyone loves me, you know, Jesus said another place, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So that's how you can know if you love the Lord. If anyone loves me, see, you don't know if you love the Lord by just saying it with your mouth. Are you keeping his commandments? If you love him, you'll keep his commandments. So he says this, if anyone loves me, he, well, <laughs> he'll keep my word. Okay, I should have just read on there. He'll keep my word. If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. You get it. But here's 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 what here's what I want you to get. And my father will love him. Oh, that's good. And we, we, who's talk, who's he talking about? Him and his father. We'll come to him and make our home with him. Ooh, you talk about good stuff, man. It doesn't get any better than that. So uh, Judas Thaddeus asked Jesus a question, and, and we got this nugget of great truth out of Jesus. If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. But watch this. And my father will love him, and we, who's Jesus talking about? He and his father. will come to him and make our home with him. Does it get any better than that? Does it get any better than than that. So I'm glad that Judas Thaddeus asked that question. Now let's conclude here. Uh, so we've studied these 12 apostles, and it's interesting in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, uh, the apostle John makes a statement. He says about Jesus, he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, our hands have handled the word of life. They got to be with Jesus. They're apostles of the Lamb. They were with him for three and a half years. The greatest ministry the world has ever or will ever see. Jesus, they were with him. They got to touch him. They got to see him. They got to handle him, touch him, see him. And he goes on and he says that, talking to Jesus, God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. So they, for three and a half years, they got to be with Jesus. And notice in John 6.69, John 6.69, Peter said to Jesus, Oh, it's so good. He said, we have come, talking for the for the, the apostles there, speaking on their behalf. He says, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. See, they walk with him. They talk with him. They commune with him. And they came to a point where they believed and they knew that he was the Christ, the son of the living God. And you know, as it pertains to, to these apostles, now we know Judas Iscariot was a traitor and we studied about him and he, he committed suicide and went to hell. It's very sad. But the other 11, what, what happened to them? Well, look at Acts, the first chapter in the 13th verse, Acts one thirteen. It says, and when they had entered, they went up into the upper room uh, where they were staying and then it lists Peter, 
James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the uh, son of James. Notice it lists 11, those 11. Without, without Judas Iscariot, he was a traitor. But in Acts 1, after Jesus was raised from the dead, went back up into heaven and all of that. And the apostles stood out there, you know, and they were looking up as Jesus was taken up from him. There was an angel, you know, standing by the side, said to them, this same Jesus who goes up, is taken up from you today, he'll come in like manner. Glory to God, we're getting closer to that time where he's going to come again. We'll get into more of that as we go, go on down the road here. But... But notice, here's what I want you to get. All these 11 here. Now watch this. All these 11. Verse 14. What lesson can we learn here? They all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. They all continued to serve Jesus for the rest of their lives. All 11 continued to serve Jesus and remain faithful to him until the end of their lives on earth. Absolutely. They continued. They continued. And they all preached the gospel until they were martyred for the cause of Jesus Christ. Absolutely. And let me just tell you how they died briefly as I close here. James, who was John's brother. Now, he's the only one whose death martyred him. Martyr being a martyr is to die for the cause of something. He died for the cause of Christ. He was put, well, martyrdom it doesn't mean you just die. Martyrdom means you were put to death. Murdered, killed, however you want to say it, for the cause of, of something. So a Christian martyr would be someone who was killed for the cause of Christ. So all of them except John uh, were, were martyred. And uh, but, but James, John's brother, now he was the only one wh whose martyr was given in the Bible in Acts 12, 2. And uh, he was killed with the sword, like, likely beheaded. And then church, tra church tradition tells us of the rest of them. Just very briefly, I think you'll find this interesting. Peter was, now this is church tradition telling us history, you know, historians will tell us this. J James, John's brother, his, his martyrdom was given in the Bible, but the rest of them we have from tradition. Peter was incarcerated in the Mamertine prison, which in and of itself was typically a death sentence. Peter was brutally tortured there. He shared the gospel with the guards. Uh, he was then sentenced to be crucified and requested it be upside down as though he, as, as he thought he was not worthy to be crucified right side up as was the Lord. And think about that. John, now he was the only of the 11 not to be martyred, but was certainly persecuted. He was boiled in oil and couldn't kill him. He was exiled to Patmos. And got the book of Revelation. Eventually he died of natural causes. The only one not to be martyred of the 12. Andrew, listen to this, unwilling to recant his faith and see martyrs. They all had a chance, just about all of them, to recant their faith in Jesus. So powerful. These, these men walked with Jesus and they were, they were brought to the point of martyrdom. And they could have recanted Christ and lived, but they refused. They held to their faith and were willing to be put to death. That's how much they believed and were convinced. They came to believe and know that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, that they were willing to give their lives. But Andrew, unwilling to recant his faith in Jesus, was crucified on an X-shaped cross. After being whipped severely by soldiers, they tied his body to the cross with cords to prolong his agony. His followers reported that when he was led uh, toward the cross, he said these words. This is Andrew. I've long desired and expected this happy hour. 
The cross has been consecrated by the body of Christ hanging on it, and he continued to preach to his tormentors and other bystanders for two to three days until he died. That was Andrew. And then Philip, he was stoned and crucified. Bartholomew, who's also known as Nathaniel, he was filleted. His skin was stripped off of him with a whip and then crucified. Matthew was pinned to the ground and beheaded. Thomas was thrown into a fiery oven and struck through with spears. Simon the Zealot preached the gospel in Persia and was ultimately sawn in half for refusing to sacrifice to their sun god. James the Less, now he ministered in Syria and one account says he was put on the uh, pinnacle of the temple and commanded, uh, was commanded to deny Christ. But uh, he refused and he made this statement. He said, Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah. So they threw him off the, t the pinnacle of the temple. Uh, he fell to the ground. He didn't die. Uh, they, they, uh, his legs were broken, but they stoned him. And as they were stoning him, he said, Lord, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Same thing Jesus said from the cross. Then they struck him in the head and, and he died. That was how James the less died. He was martyred. And then Judas Thaddeus, one church tradition holds that uh, he was crucified, yet another declares he was uh, executed by an axe or a club, and yet another uh, that he died by being shot with arrows or a javelin. You think about that. What lesson do we learn? Why did I share that? Well, I think it's important that you know how these men uh, gave their lives for the Lord. They did. They, they, they continued to preach the gospel after the Lord was risen from the dead and went back up into heaven the rest of their lives. They continued to preach the gospel. They were given the opportunity to renounce Christ, but they didn't. Why? Again, because they came to believe and know that he's the Christ, the son of the living God, and they gave their lives for him. And now they're in heaven with the Lord. And I'm sure that they're so glad that they did, and their names are on the, the foundation, you know, those walls of the heavenly Jerusalem. Praise God. What lesson do we learn? We too, much pre we too must preach the gospel, endure persecution, and finish our course for Jesus Christ. Yes, when we serve Christ, there's a lot of up things and happy things, and he supplies our needs, and there's there's that side of it, yes, but there's also the side that says that all who will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That doesn't get preached too much in the United States, but it should. You know, yes, there's great victory in serving the Lord, but there's also persecution. And all uh, of these men that we talked about, except John, uh, died a martyr's death. You think about that. But we learned the lesson that we too should preach the gospel, endure persecution, and finish our course as they did for Christ. You know, these men are so important. In John 17, verse 18, as Jesus was praying, he said, uh, he, he said this, he said, neither pray, for, neither pray for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Did you ever think about it? You and I are saved today because of the word uh, that God gave through these apostles and came down into the Bible to us. Thank God for those 12 apostles. Thank God because... Through their word, we heard the gospel, and it came all the way down from Jesus into them, all the way down to us, and we get saved. Thank God for the apostles. And you know what? We're saved because of the word that the word of God that they preached, but we're also founded. Look at this, Ephesians 2.19. Look at this. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners. This is if you're saved. But fellow citizens with the saints 
and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. You see, we came to believe because of the words of the apostles, and we stand uh, on the foundation that they've built. Thank God for them. And, uh, and then Acts 2.42 says, And they, speaking of believers, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in, and in prayers. So the believers, see, we came to believe because of, of, of the word God gave them. We stand firm because of the word that God gave them. And we should continue, and we should continue in the doctrine. That means the teaching that God gave them. We should, as the believers in the early church, we should, too, uh, uh, continue steadfastly in the apostles' Doctrine. Sad to say, I don't want to have to say this, but it's true. Uh, not a lot of apostles' doctrine being taught in the United States as it should be. At least not what I see on a lot of the media. It, it, it is there, but but not a lot of it. But I, but I tell you what, we need to continue in the apostles' doctrine and stand firm on that, particularly in the light of the times that we're living in. I'm not implying there's not good ministries out there. There are. But I tell you what, so much of what you see in the United States is far from the apostles' doctrine. And we need to get back to that and stand on that because we're going to need that firm foundation for the days which lie ahead as we move on to out in time. And then, and then I'll close by saying this. The apostle Paul made the statement. Now, he wasn't one of the apostles of the Lamb. He wasn't one of Jesus' twelve. Uh, 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 original uh, disciples, you know, apostles. But he said this, he said, follow me as I follow Christ. And so I tell you what, I've given you these 12 men, all except Judas Iscariot, we should follow them as they follow Christ. And you know, if any of those apostles were here today, I know one thing that they'd, they'd conclude this message with. They'd invite you to become a Christian. If you're out there and you don't know Jesus as your savior, you need to make that decision right now and receive him. There's a heaven to gain when you die, and there's also a hell to shun. And the only way to miss hell and make heaven is to, to repent of your sins and receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. So I want to I, I want to do what I, I'm confident any any of these 11 apostles, and I think even if Judas could come back from the dead and stand here, he Judas is scared. He did he say he said don't betray Christ. He said he, I know he'd tell you. He said receive Jesus and be faithful to Him. You know, I'm, I'm confident he, he, you because know, he's in hell right now. He'd do anything to get out of that place. I guarantee it to you. But he can't. But I tell you what, you can You don't have to go there in the first place. How do you miss it? By receiving Jesus Christ. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So I want to encourage you today to call on the name of the Lord. Receive Jesus as your Savior and then fall in love with him and, and serve him and keep his word. And he and the Heavenly Father and the Holy Ghost will, will be there with you. They'll make their home inside of you. And, and oh, what a great time it'll be for you. And, 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 and you'll miss hell, you'll make heaven, and he'll make your life worth living in the meantime. So, hey, I went a little long today, but that's okay. We're on tape here. We're on social media, so you can pause me. And, uh, it's, it's, if you're here in person uh, when I'm teaching, then you're held captive. And if I go long, you can't get out. But, but you got to stay till I'm done. But I get a little long-winded on social media. You can pause me and, and just watch it at your convenience. So, so that's a good thing about when I get a little long-winded. But hey, uh, uh, very serious times in which we're living. And uh, I'll have more to say about uh, uh, what's going on in Ukraine and, 
and, and so forth next week. So keep me in your prayers that uh, the Spirit of God leads and directs me to say what I need to say as we move, move on out here in time. Okay, God bless you. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.